I'm glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> we're we're going to discuss a lot of the dynamics, um, God willing, between uh, Yaakov and Esav and wrestling with the angel and the whole idea of um, Yaakov asking for a blessing um, from this 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 angel of evil, essentially. Um, what was going on with that? And and uh, also, if, if we have a chance to get to it, um, a, a separate question, which is something that I've been thinking about, which is why 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 did Hashem arrange it that Yaakov Avinu had to marry Leah first before Rachel? We know, of course, that that Yaakov was tricked by Levin, and that Rachel gave Leah the signs. But that's all this world stuff. Obviously, nothing happens without Hashem's permission. So what was, so to speak, the perhaps the heavenly point of view? Why, why, why Leah should go first? So hopefully we'll get to that question as well. Um, but I want to begin with, with just a, uh, what for me was a very brilliant uh, explanation from the, the Mor Vishemesh in terms of how um, Yaakov presents himself to, to Esav, meaning to say, we know that Esav is, is, is jealous of Yaakov. There's a very interesting gematria, by the way, which is that uh, Esav is waiting with 400 soldiers. 400, uh, 400 is the gematria of Ayin Ra, which means a bad eye. So we know that Esav, for a variety of reasons, had a bad eye for, for Yaakov. And, you know, we, we've mentioned it before, I, I think just because it's so practical, it's, it's worth saying it again, from Reb Shlomo. If a person wants to get rid of their own bad eye, you know, I, I saw that, uh, that the, um, the Ger Rebbe said about himself that it took him seven years to get over giving a bad eye, meaning he himself. And if the Ger Rebbe, who is one of the most exalted souls ever, had to work on himself so much not to begrudge other people, because it comes from a place of begrudging other people, it shows you for, for the rest of us that we, if, that we probably have work to do as well. You know? So what, where does it stem from? So, so it stems usually from jealousy. And, and as Reb Shlomo put it so brilliantly, Jealousy is thinking that someone else has your thing. You see, if there's a blessing that you would like, and you see someone else has that blessing, there is, we're sort of hardwired to think, oh, he took my thing. But there's a tremendous leap involved in rushing to that assumption, because it's not your thing. It's his thing. It's her thing. So, so if a person wants to sort of like uproot this quality within themselves, they can talk it through them, with themselves. If they see someone has that thing, whatever it is that they want, they, they have to tell themselves, no, 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 that's their thing. There, there's, God has no shortage of Lamborghinis, right? It's like, I don't not have a Lamborghini because God ran out of Lamborghinis. That is absolutely not the reason, Right? So when a person begins to talk to themselves and they, they understand that if I don't have a particular thing, it's not because there's a shortage of that thing, you know, and that that other person doesn't have my thing, then a person can begin to talk themselves through the process of not giving a bad eye. And, and that's a very, very important because Reb Shlomo said another time that a person can't understand joy unless they can be happy for someone else's joy. So, so, like, ideally we get to a state where you hear good news about someone. Someone just got engaged. Someone just had a kid. Someone just got a job. And that a person's first reaction is, that's great. I'm so happy. That's, that's where we want to be. We want to be at that place where we can sincerely and genuinely and enthusiastically say, that's great. I'm so happy. Because their simcha is my simcha. Their, happy, their happiness is my happiness. This is where we want to be. So if we're, we can measure ourselves. If we're not at that place, then that means we still have work to do in terms of uprooting this other quality. So that's, that's a, a way to test yourself and measure yourself in terms of um, how, how much uh, 
how much we've gotten rid of this. So Esav had a bad eye. Again, Ayin Raz, Gematria 400, and he greeted, greeted, <laughs> in heavy quotation marks, Yaakov with 400 soldiers. It was a large army for one family. So, so what does Yaakov tell him? Yaakov tells him two things which are very curious. We're, we're going to anal- uh, analyze these two things that he tells him. Be, and the reason why they're curious is because these are two things that would incite further hatred. That, that's, why, that's why it's strange, and we have to kind of try to get an answer as to why Yaakov is saying this. Yaakov tells him um, very, very famously, uh, let's see if I can find the, he says, Im lovin garti. And uh, that garti is uh, gamatria, Rashi points out, 613. Which means that he tells Esav that I've lived with Lovin. Im, with Lovin, I've lived. Garti. Garti is I've lived. And Garti is Gamatri 613. Meaning to say that I have kept all 613 mitzvahs in the most spiritually hostile place on earth. Remember, we say in terms of reincarnation that that Lovin comes from the Nachash, from the snake in the Garden of Eden, I mean, spiritually speaking. So this is really like the headquarters of evil. Yaakov Avinu was able to keep the entire Torah. So this is like, you know, like laying it down, as we would say, to, to, to uh, love it. Like, you think that you represent a threat to me? Do you see what I just accomplished? Right? So that's, that's, number, that's number one. He's telling Esav, I'm holy, basically. Right? Now, people who are wicked hate holiness. <laughs> so this is a this is a provocation, seemingly, right? The other thing is, Yaakov says, I've acquired oxen and donkeys, flocks, servants, and maidservants. Right? So essentially he's telling him, and I'm loaded, I'm rich. <laughs> so that's another thing that you would hate in your enemy. Your enemy is rich. That doesn't make you happy. So he's telling Esav, I'm holy and I'm rich. And, and this is, this is and, and let's just pause for a moment here. These are two things which should make this very tense situation. And, and, and the, the Chumash, the Torah itself, tells us that Yaakov Avinu was afraid of this confrontation. So that being the case, you would think that these would be the last two things he would be putting right up front, like almost immediately, right? So we have to, we have to explain this. We have to figure out what's going on. Um, let's just pause for a moment, though, to, to just make a, a general observation, very fundamental observation about Judaism itself. I heard Rabbi Manus Friedman say that, 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 that people that anti-Semitism, when, 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 when people say to Jews, you don't belong here, right? That these anti-Semites are actually tapping into something very, very deep, which is that they understand that there's actually, even though they're not understanding it consciously, that there's actually something supernatural about the quality of the Jewish people. And that this, 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 is, this dimension is a very earthly place. And they, they detect that there's a disconnect with the presence of Jews in this realm, essentially, dimensionally speaking, you know, talking very spiritually right now. And so they, when they say, you don't belong here, they, they actually are hitting on something that's, that, that, that has a, a, a basis of reality to it. But that comes from a misunderstanding of why we're here and what we're doing here. In other words, they're not right. They're, they're, they sense something which approaches something accurate, but they're not processing it correctly. Let me approach it from another angle. There is no contradiction. One of the historical sources of anti-Semitism is the fact that they look at Jews and they say, you Jews are supposed to be holy. What are you doing doing business? This is very aggravating to us. Why are you business people? <laughs> like, what is going on? Why are you making money? Or trying to make money, right? Like, why? What's going on? And the idea is that we, you know, as, as everyone points out, but it's, it's really important, 
that unlike other religions, like for, for instance, the Catholic priest who is sort of like the, spiritually speaking, the, the elder in that, in, that, in that form of worship, um, they don't have families. You know, so it's sort of like if you have a family, it's, you're, you're in the trenches in terms of a, a lot more issues of this world that, 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 that if, if you don't have one at all, that you're removed from, right? If you're a guru and you're like sitting in, in solitude, you are not in the trenches, essentially, of a lot of the issues of this world. God has intentionally put us in the trenches. And the idea is that we live a certain way where we not, oh, unfortunately we're doing business. No, that we're actually doing business, but we've got reams of laws of how to do it in a kosher holy way, right? Like if you look at the halachas, it's called choshen mishpat. Tons of halachas, how to conduct yourself properly in terms of business. Um, and so, so the idea is that we're here to infuse the material realm with kedusha, with holiness, and to elevate all of the relationships and the trenches and the physicality and the food and everything we're involved in, to elevate it and to spiritualize it and to sanctify it. And, and that's the idea. That's the game plan. Okay? But, 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 the, but the, the person who comes from a different orientation doesn't understand that. And they see our involvement in this world as a contradiction. Because if we're going to be holy, we shouldn't be involved in these things. Right? This was Esau's point of view. And I'm getting now to the explanation of the more of a Shemesh. He asks the question, why is Yaakov seemingly provoking Esau by telling him that he's holy and that he's got money? Right? And how is this helping him like, resolve the conflict with Esau? So he says... He says that from Esav's point of view, if you're holy, you shouldn't be involved in any of these things. Right? You should be broke. If you're a good holy man, you should be broke. That's Esav's point of view. So what Yaakov is doing is telling Esav not to provoke him, I'm rich and I'm holy. He's telling him, I'm a total failure. You see, I'm supposed to be holy, but look what happened, I got rich instead. So my wealth is actually evidence of my failure to be a holy person. And so he does this like jujitsu flip on Esav by pointing out his two greatest qualities, well, two of his amazing qualities, let's say, which should have made Esav even angry at Yaakov, but yet he's able to present them in such a way that Esau should be more sympathetic to Yaakov because Yaakov is now presenting himself from Esau's point of view as a failure. <laughs> because you see, if I were really holy, I wouldn't have any of these things. So unfortunately, I have this wealth because I undermine my chief mission, which is to be holy, and so I failed in both instances. <coughs> I unfortunately have wealth, and clearly I'm not holy. So that's... I... I, I personally find that amazing, just, just the way the mayor of Hashemish understands this. It's, it's great. Okay. So now, let's go further. I want to switch to um, the Piyasesna Rebbe, the, the Eish Kodesh, the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto. And just to give you just a brief introduction, this is now, we're now going to talk about Yaakov wrestling the angel and asking for a blessing from the angel. And he brings down some amazing, amazing Torah here. And, um, and just to set the, the scene a little bit, the, the reason, and it's in English, by the way, uh, it, it, it's called Sacred Fire. Definitely, definitely an amazing book. You know, anyone can, can read it, you know. Um, there's a whole history behind it. I don't want to go into the whole thing, but, um, but, but suffice it to say, this is written in, in the heart of the Holocaust while it's happening. In the heart of the Holocaust, you have a Hasidic Rebbe, a Hasidic master, bringing down amazing Torah. And, and, they, and in this book, Sacred Fire, they give you the years that he said each of the Torahs. So you really have a context. So now this, this piece that I'm going to tell you was said in 1939. And since it was said by the Parsha, 
This is already after September. So World War II has just started. Okay, so like the this and remember the Nuremberg laws were, were starting in the in the I think nineteen twenty three around there. So it's been really bad for the Jews, but now the war has like the the, the you know the, the cataclysm has now just hit, you know, like it's just landed. Okay, so so he's writing from the beginning of the start of the war. And he asks a question. He says Yaakov Avinu has just defeated the angel of Esav. And the angel of Esav at this point is 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 is, is, is this is the Yetzirah, okay? And after he defeats him, he doesn't let the angel go before asking for a blessing. Now, if this is the Yetzirah, in other words, this is the sort of like the, the, the manifestation of evil in this world. Why is he asking him for a blessing, first of all? Um, second of all, the, the angel asks Yaakov, what's your name? And the, the uh, Ish Kodesh points out, he's an angel, of course he knows Yaakov's name. So what, what is the purpose of asking his name? And then he tells him that you, you're, you're, you're going to be Israel now, not Yaakov. So what's, how is, what, is, what does that mean? Now, Israel means you've struggled with the, defi- the, the divine in one. So there seems to be a, 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 a context to that without a further explanation. But, but nonetheless, what, what's, what, what's, what's going on in terms of him giving the name there? All right. So... So the Rebbe says, and again, remember, this is now 1939. They've endured years, and it's only going to get worse. But it's just taken a quantum leap up for getting way worse, right? Because he's in Poland, and Poland's just been invaded and overrun, right? So so he says that um, what Yaakov just went through, wrestling with this angel and now the, 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 the angel is, is, is leaving he's going to leave him alone the Rebbe asks do you think that we've gone through remember whatever happened to the our holy fathers and mothers that's a sign for all future generations they were a microcosm of all of Jewish history and for everything in our own personal lives so on a macro level and in each one of our individual lives so that's why we really study these stories extra hard because we know that they contain the DNA for all of future history and for our own personal lives as well. So he says, Yaakov says, this is the Rebbe talking, do you think after what I just endured that, that that's, the, that's the end of this situation? That I just survived and now you're on your way and I just survived, that's it? No. You have to bless me. In other words, this whole struggle, the struggle of my life, the struggle of Jewish history, it's not just going to end with us being survivors. That's not enough. It has to end with us being blessed and us achieving a victory. Not just that we survived. That's not what this is about. And so that's, that's intense. And again, if you, if you picture the Rebbe saying this after Poland's just been overrun, it's just, it gives you the chills. I mean, you, 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 you feel it. You feel it. And so Yaakov gets the blessing. And remember, Yaakov gets injured during this battle, which the rabbis all point out that, that evil is going to injure the Jewish people throughout history. That's a, this is, that, it, if Yaakov got hit, that means that we're all hit. But he gets healed, and he gets blessed. So there's a very powerful, very happy ending to that exchange, okay? Now listen to part two. He says, he asks him, what's your name? What's your name? And he says, well, now you're going to be Israel. So, so again, <coughs> the Ish Kodesh is saying something super brilliant, which is like, like everyone, it's sort of like, you know, with a kind of like sleight of hand, like a magician. You know, you follow the movements of the hand. So it's sort of like you follow the flow of the verse. The verse says you're not Yaakov anymore, now you're Israel. So everyone's looking at Israel. Okay, what does Israel mean and everything like that? But the Rebbe says, wait a second. 
Let's look at the first part of that. You're not Yaakov anymore. So what, is, what does that part mean? It's not just that you're Israel. It's that you're not Yaakov. What, what does that mean? So why does Yaakov have the name Yaakov? Yaakov has the word Ekev in it, which means heal. Because when, when Yaakov was born, he was holding on to the heel of Esav. And by the way, I just heard a teaching this Shabbos said that Esav was trying to stomp him out in the womb, trying to make sure that he never got out of the womb. And, 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 and Yaakov was holding on to the heel. This was like a, like a survival thing. Like Esav was like, like, that they made a deal in the womb. Esav says, you have this world. No, Esav says, I have this world, you have the next world. And then stumped on him saying, I'm going out into this world. You have the next world. And Yaakov was saying, no, I have to get to this world in order to get to the next world. So, so this whole idea of holding on to his heel that Yaakov is linked to Esav, that's a, that's a coupling between Yaakov and Esav. In fact, we say our name is our mission. You can find out a lot of, about yourself by analyzing your name. So the fact that ya- Yaakov's name is inherently tied to the heel of Esav shows you this interrelationship is, is very defining to Yaakov. You understand? So now what the angel is saying is, now your name is Yisrael. You're done with the whole Yaakov, Esav, script, anti-script dynamic. You wrestled with the angel of Esav, and you, you got through it. So now you've got a new destiny, a new mazel, a new job to do in this world. This job of Yisrael. So that's, that to me is very amazing. It's not just, okay, now he has two names, or now he has a new name, or now this is really his name. There's a shift that's taken place in terms of his relationship with Esav. And in fact, if you read on, the next Parsha begins with the whole idea, now becomes the whole Saris, the whole trouble with Yosef. Now we're on, after this, we're on to Yosef and, and Paro and, and all of that stuff. But the chapter of Asaph has in fact ended in terms of his life. So, so you really see this in, in, in what just happened. That's, that's, that, is, that is fascinating. Okay, now let's, let's go even deeper, okay? The name of this angel was, is Samul. Okay, and a lot of people don't um, even say that name because it's sort of like an angel of evil, right? So they refer to this angel's name as um, the Samach Mem. That's the shorthand for the, um, essentially the dark side, right? That's what they call it. Okay, so... So the Rebbe points out, and I actually saw this teaching someplace else, so I guess this is a, a known, this is a known uh, thing. But amazing, just super, super cool. Just, I mean, you just, just get into like, like, like the heart, heart of beautiful Torah study here. If you take out, what, what happened during this wrestling match with this angel? He brings that, a teaching, the Yesh Kodesh brings, that the Mem in the full name of the Samech Mem, the full name of this angel, that if you remove the letter Mem from his name, that the Mem stands for Maves, which means death. Now remember, it says in the Gemara, in Baba Basra, that the angel of death, the Yetzirah, and the Satan are all one force, which, which makes sense. Like that's one spectrum of one spiritual spectrum. One aspect of it attacks a person's soul. That would be the Yetzahara, right? One attacks the body. That's the Malachamavas, the angel of death. And then one is the Sutton. That's the heavenly accuser, right? But that's one one spectrum. One energy, okay? So so when when uh, Yaakov Avinu is struggling against his angel, it makes sense that the Mem of, it, of the Samach Mem stands for Mavas or death, because this is one of its one of its energies, right? So we know that when Mashiach comes, 
especially after Techias Amesim, the resurrection of the dead, death itself is no longer going to be in the world. So, so Yaakov Avinu, in wrestling with the angel, is doing this amazing spiritual work where he's actually removing the mem, which stands for Mavis, death, from this, this angel, which is setting up the removal of death from the world. You see? Now, the letters that remain are Samech, Aleph, and Lamed, which add up to 91. Now, you know, 91 is one of our key numbers because 91 represents its two divine names, Yudke, Vavke, and Adnus, Aleph, Daud, Nun, and Yud, which are 26 and 65. That adds up to 91. In other words, what that means, what 91 means is heaven and earth coming together. Because these two divine names, one stands for basically God, master of heaven, and God, master of earth. I mean, there are other levels to it, but it's basically heaven and earth. That's why when we say, Amen, Amen is Gematria 91. When we, we, you want to you make a blessing over a, a cookie. Basically what you're doing when you say, Amen, is you're affirming that this cookie is, is, is from heaven, basically. You know, it's, it's the manifestation of God's gifts into this world. So your consciousness is merging heaven and earth when you say Amen. That's why Amen is 91. Okay? These two names. So look how awesome this is. When, when Yaakov Avinu defeats the angel, he removes death from, from it because that's, 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 that's conquering the angel. Right? And what's left is the number 91. Samech Aleph Lamed which is heaven and earth coming together, which is clarity, right? Because what, when the Yetzirah comes to a person and, 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 you know, draws a person into wrongdoing, what is that wrongdoing doing? It's disconnecting heaven and earth. So if you defeat this angel, you are necessarily bringing heaven and earth together. Do you understand? It's, it's really, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's like so elegant. It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. So I want to um, I want to move on, and and uh, I want to try to answer. I want to, I want to try to give it a, an answer to another question, which is um, why is it that uh, Yaakov Avinu has to marry? Leah first. All right? So we know that on the sort of the here and now level, we've got three explanations that you'll hear. Uh, you know, it's funny because I've asked a, a couple of rabbis this question because <laughs> I have my own answer that I want to give. And I was, I was, it was interesting to me that no one actually heard the question that I was asking of the people that I asked. No one heard the question that I was asking. I said, why did Yaakov have to marry Leah first? So they say, because of the tears of Leah. You know, I mean, why did Yaakov marry Leah first? Yeah, because of the tears of Leah. Everybody knows, and this is true. This is a big Torah point, that Leah understood that, you know, that, that um, remember, there's Rachel and Leah, and there's Yaakov and Esav. So the older is going to marry the older, and the younger is going to marry the younger. So that means that Leah is going to marry Esav, and Yaakov is going to marry Rachel. This is the way it was going to be. But Leah saw that Esau was wicked, and essentially she cried her eyes out. And, and, and she changed her fate, basically. She changed her muzzle, so that she was now able to marry Yaakov. Okay, this is a 1,000% accepted Torah opinion. 1,000%. Okay. So you can say, okay, so Yaakov married Leah first because of Leah's prayers. Perfectly good question, but not the question I'm asking. <laughs> or you can say that Rachel saw that her sister was going to be embarrassed, and so she gave over the secret signs to Leah because Yaakov knew that they were that Levin was going to switch them. So he put in this like sort of like fail-safe kind of like coded system into effect, but. Leah, uh, Rachel had, you know, Rachmanis, you know, compassion on her sister. 
she gave her the signs. Okay, that's why Yaakov married Leah first. Again, 100% good answer, but not, that's not the question that I'm asking. <laughs> or you can say that Lovin, Lovin was the master trickster, and he basically was going to keep Yaakov enslaved in his, you know, in Paden Aram, in this like, you know, in this sweatshop, basically. He was going to keep him jailed there and then cheat him out of all of his earnings. And it was going to be this, like, epic disaster for Yaakov. And so it was Lovin who did it. Okay, so... So again, not, not, not the answer to the question I'm asking, but, but a, a perfectly good answer. I want to know, why did God do it? Why did God do it? Because none of those things would have been effective unless Hashem wanted to do it. Okay. So, so I'm going to begin by telling you something from the mayor of Hashemish, and then I'll tell you when I'm talking. Okay. So the mayor of Hashemish says that the basic order, the basic natural order of um, uh, uh, coming close to God is basically one works through the revealed realms and then you go on to the hidden realms. Okay? Rachel represents the revealed world. It says in the Torah itself that she was beautiful of form. Right? So, so this, this revealed world that we live in this is a, is a dimension of materiality. It's a physical world. So it makes sense that the Torah is is, is, is reporting, the Torah is not telling you anything unsneous, and it's not telling you anything immodest, and it's not telling you anything extra. So if it's telling you that Rachel was beautiful of form, it's, it's talking about that she really was, you know, correlates with the revealed dimensions of the world. Leah represents the hidden world. So, from Yaakov Avinu's point of view, first you go from the revealed world to the hidden worlds. So, it makes sense that you go from Rachel, first marry Rachel, and then you would marry Leah second. All that makes sense. And that was the plan. The mayor of Hashemish gives a kind of like, sort of like broadens it, and he gives a, a metaphor. He says that that in terms of our own personal lives, first we, it's like we're all standing outside the palace of the king. And first we have to get ourselves into the proper shape. Keeping Shabbos, keeping kosher, davening, tefillin, candles, Shabbos, all these things. When a person makes themselves, you know, raises themselves up, this is while you're on the outside of the palace, then the king brings you inside into the palace into the inner chambers of the palace. And that's, that's, that would correlate with the revealed world being the outside of the palace, and then comes the hidden worlds. You, you are taken to the inside of the palace. Right? So again, this is another formulation of this thought. So, Yaakov Avino is, is very upset when he wakes up and he finds himself with Leah. And I'm going to read it to you in English, but with, and then I'm going to tell you what the how the mayor of Hashemish factors in what I've just been telling you into this into this into this verse, and you'll hear a whole new dimension of pain coming out of Yaakov. And in the morning, this is uh, chapter 29, verse 25. And in the morning, that behold, it was Leah. So he said to Lovin, What is this that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? Now the word deceived, the mayor of Hashemish points out, Rimisani, has the word Ram in it. Ram is like Romamus. Ram means to elevate. That means something very, very high. So to freely translate right now, Yaakov is saying, you gave me the hidden before the revealed. Why have you made me so high? In other words, what did you do to me? 
You upended the whole normal order of coming close to God. You gave me the hidden before the revealed. So this is intense. This is intense, right? So now let's return back to the question. Why why did God do that? Okay, so now this is me talking, but I'm basing it on what we've just been learning up until now. So I want to say, I want to say the following. I heard Reb Shlomo say one time on this Pasuk, I always thought this was very amazing, and it was in the morning that behold it was Leah. That's the beginning of that verse. That the Zohar says, and it was in the morning that behold it was Mashiach. Because the whole messianic line, David HaMelech, Mashiach ben David, comes from Yehuda, and Yehuda comes from Leah. So in other words, what just, and behold it was Leah, behold it was Mashiach. Meaning to say that Mashiach had just been brought into the world. Right? Because that's going to be from the line of Leah. Okay. Let's go further. Uh, We're not communicating just yet. You see, I would ask you a question. What, What if Leah represents the hidden world, right? So what is the most hidden aspect of creation? So I would tell you that that which was created before creation, that which existed, that which existed before the world was created is the most hidden aspect of creation. In fact, any scientist will tell you that they can, in the realm of science, get up to a certain point of the first moment of the creation of the world, but they can't tell you what happened before the creation of the world because that's where science flies out the window. Bless it. Right? So, so by definition, the most hidden aspects of creation are those things that existed before the world itself was created. In fact, you even have this in Torah. Because in Torah, the very first letter of the, olive, uh, of the, of the Torah is the letter Bez. So Bez is, has a, a wall on one side, right? And they, they say that you can get all the way to the first letter, but you can't get past that first letter because there's a wall blocking you from going from before the creation of the world. Now, there are certain things that we know through prophecy and because God wanted us to know these things, but only certain things. Otherwise, there's that, that wall of the first letter, the wall, the spine, so to speak, of the letter Bays is a wall telling us you can know so much and no further. Okay. So what are some of these things that were told that existed before the world was created? One of them is the soul of Mashiach. Another, another one is that, is that the, the rabbis darshan, brishis, the first word of the Torah, meaning with beginnings, right? It means bishvil rishona, for the sake of the first, which, and in another place in the Torah, that the, the Jewish people were called the rishon, the first, so for the sake of the first, for the sake of the Jewish people, the world was created. That's how the rabbis darshan, one way that the rabbis darshan the word brashis. So if the world was created for the sake of the Jewish people, that means that the concept of the Jewish people have to have existed before the world was created. So, so now let's put all these things together. So... The question again is, why did God make it so that Yaakov should marry Leah first? Again, Leah stands for the hidden realms. And the most hidden things about creation are those things that existed before the world was created, like, for instance, the soul of Mashiach and the Jewish people. So I want to suggest that it was appropriate that Leah should come first, because Leah is the conduit since she represents the hidden worlds. She's the conduit of bringing the most hidden things into the world, like the Jewish people and like Mashiach. These are the things which are beyond, 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 beyond. And that is going to form the basis 
of the Jewish people and the destiny that the Jewish people are going to bring into this world. And so as the emissary of the hidden and as the conduit of the hidden, it makes sense that she would be the first since that's going to be the foundation of the Jewish people, bringing Mashiach into this world and bringing Kal Yisrael, which Yaakov and Leah are about to do. They're about to bring Israel into this world. Right? The Jewish people. Now, with this in mind, a gematria came to me, which is that, again, we said that, that the Zohar says, and it was in the morning that behold, it was Leah, they say, and it was in the morning that behold, it was Mashiach, right? Because... David, right? The messianic line comes from Leah. So look at this. We know we have different, different cosmic maps, different paradigms that we kind of understand the heavens with, the universe with. One of them is this concept of the Shar Chamishim, the 50 gates, with 50 being the highest, right? And 50 standing for beyond. Like, for instance, when we get the Torah, the Torah is beyond this world, but it enters into this world. What do we do? When we count the Omer, we count 49 days. But it seems like if you're counting 49 days, what's the whole point? To count the 50th day. That's the whole reason why you're counting. Why are we counting the 50th day? Because you can't put a number on the Torah because the Torah is beyond, 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 beyond. When you get to this number 50, you're, you're already like off the charts, right? So l- listen to this. Leah plus David equals 50. Leah is 36, David is 14. 36 and 14 is 50. So in other words, you see this dynamic, what's happening here with Leah coming first, that Yaakov is tapping into the complete beyond. And the soul of Mashiach, the soul of the Jewish people is coming down. And again, this gets back to what we were saying initially that the Jewish people have this supernatural quality to them. That we are we're in this world, but we're also kind of a conduit to the beyond at the same time. And you see that in the formation, because again, just so you understand the significance of it, when Yaakov is marrying Leah, this is the beginning of the Jewish people. Right? We had Jews now, we had three couples of Jews, right? Avraham and Sarah and Yitzhak and Rivka and Yaakov, and, but this is where the Jewish people itself comes down. This is where the nation comes down. At this moment, the nation is coming down. The beyond is coming down. So the, it's, it's got to be Leah. It's got to be Leah. Um, okay, let me just uh, end with a story. Not... Connected, not connected. I'm sure it's connected on some level, but it just it, it moved me. It's not it's not like a any miracle story or amazing hashkacha pratis coincidence story or anything like that. It's just but that's why I like it. That's why I like this story because it's something that we can all absolutely do today in, in our lives. And that's why I like this. So I was actually in New York this uh, past week, and uh, we had a, a baby in the family, and, and then um, my, my sister-in-law was nifter. All these words of Torah should be uh, an Elias, neshama for her. Um, Deborah, Bas, Rab, Shalom, Yeshua. Neshama should have an Aliyah. And uh, so last Friday, it was, it was I, I, we, we literally went f- from the bris Friday morning to the funeral. Can you imagine? A bris is the beginning of life, and a funeral is the end. One to the other. So, so that Shabbos, that was Friday, that Shabbos, the, the rabbi of the shul, and this is a, a big shul in New York, the rabbi of the shul um, told the story. There was a, a girl getting bat mitzvah, and she, he was saying nice words over to the family, and you know. And he went to tell a story about the the, the father of the bat mitzvah girl, and um, so here is the story. And and I know this because um, 
you know, my brother-in-law goes to the shul, so I, 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 I followed this story just from, from a distance in, in my own life. So I, I had an extra appreciation for what the rabbi was saying. The, the shul was made an offer because of various reasons. It was a valuable piece of real estate. So they said, someone made an offer, you can have this amount of money, which was a, a large sum of money, and you'll leave this building and you'll build your own brand new building. And this was, and they had a spot, which was literally like 20 yards away. It was, it was an amazing thing. You can't say no to this offer. So what happened, though, was, as, you know, it's a cautionary tale, with permits and construction and this, that, and the other thing, the, the new building ended up costing, I don't know, maybe double, or, or I don't know what percentage-wise it was. But they were something like, they were millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars short. I mean, you know. And now it was kind of getting really to the end of the story because the people had bought the old building and they have to begin construction. And the new building's not ready. And where is this congregation going to go? Like to someone's apartment? You have hundreds of people. They're going to fit into someone's apartment in Manhattan in the neighborhood. So what's going to happen to the community? The community is going to fragment and dissolve, God forbid. So you have like a, and this is like a long-running community. So the rabbi was feeling horrible because he's like, we, we, we've lost this building. We don't, we're not even close to going into this building and the community is going to fall apart. And this is pressure, you know? And he, uh, he said it was Erev Yom Kippur and he was in his office, and really, this is weighing on him very heavily. And someone walks in, and says, in, walks into his office, and says, "Listen, we're going to get to the new building, and we're going to have smachot. We're going to have happy occasions together in the new building." And the rabbi said that he held on to these words, that somehow these words got into his bones. And he held on to these words, and they gave him such hope and such life, such faith. And he said, then the rabbi continued to say, and look, look around. Here we are in the new building. And here we are. And he says to the man who said these words to him, here we are celebrating happy times together in the new building, just like you said. So... I gotta believe that other people reassured the rabbi over that time because it was a long time, but I guess this was really the bottom of the bottom. And that's the end of the story. But look what we're able to do for each other with a positive word. Look what we have, and even if that person has heard it multiple times from different places, Nonetheless, there are times where it is it will be more meaningful and it will be exactly what the person exactly needs at that moment. And you can you can change someone's life. And what does it cost you? Zero. It costs you zero dollars and zero cents. And you say something, you're gonna make it. I'm telling you, you're going to make it. I believe that you're going to make it. I believe that you're going to get the blessing that you've been waiting for. I believe it. I know it. And you can change a person's life. And I'll tell you something. I just because I, I I I just I can't not share. But without mentioning any names or anything like that, I was walking to show yesterday morning. I was going to give a little talk before davening. And someone who's Sometimes there, sometimes not there. I don't know where they live exactly. Stop me on the street. I was a little bit nervous. And said, you know, you said something a few years ago. And my first thought was, uh-oh. 
I don't know how this story is going to end exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I wanted to get married so much. And you said something, and I held on to it for years. I held on to that thing that you said. And I just want you to know I'm engaged. And everyone says that we're the perfect couple. And she said, I was older, and I thought, done, it's finished. But but it happened, and I, I just want you to know that. And it really, it gave, it gave me a lot of strength. So I said, okay, now I'm going to give you another bracha. <laughs> so, so I gave her another bracha. But you don't know, we, we don't have to, I never explained expected to hear the end of that story either way, you know. It's not about hearing the ends of the stories. That's that's not what it's about. It's like, you know, I always think of, like, I guess in American folklore, there's this tale, Johnny Appleseed. You know, and Johnny Appleseed would have, like, I think two pockets of seeds, or pockets full of seeds, and he would just have a handful of seeds, and wherever you would walk, he would just throw seeds. He would just throw seeds, and and I guess they say that, you know, apple orchards and, and forests, like, grew up around him, you know, just by throwing seeds wherever he went, you know. So that's, that's, that, that, that can be us. That can be us. You're just, where, whoever you meet, wherever you go, you're just throwing out blessings and throwing out just good eyes, throwing out just encouraging words, and things will grow. Things will grow. Things will grow. <coughs> You know? And what a legacy. What a legacy to, to, to leave. You know? And what does it cost you? It doesn't cost you a penny. It doesn't cost you a penny. Okay. Yeah.